We come before you, O God, on this day when we acknowledge and celebrate our love for one another and our love for you. Your Son, Jesus, taught us the meaning of love, and for this we give you thanks. And yet, we must confess that we don't always act out of love. We are often quick to anger, to want justice our way, to let our accusations fly. You know our thoughts. Not only do you see the actions of our hands, but you know the motives of our hearts. You know when our anger is justified and maybe even necessary. But when anger's time is through, help us to see through our anger to a love and a peace that surpasses all understanding. Help us to move to a place of healing and wholeness. Help us to choose the way of life and to hold fast to the commandments you have given us. Yes, Divine Spirit, we come before you on this day when we acknowledge and celebrate our love for one another and our love for you. It is in that spirit of love that we lift our prayers. We remember the poor and ask that we may find ways to feed them. And the sick, we remember, that they may receive healing. We pray for the grieving that their hearts may be comforted. We pray for the lonely that they might find relationship. And we pray for the fearful that they may be given confidence. We lift prayers for the doubtful that they may have faith, for the cynical that they may experience trust. You have set before us this day life and death, blessing and curse, good and evil. Help us to choose life that we might live. Deepen our compassion for others, O God. Stir up our commitment. Help us to live this day and throughout this year as children of the covenant, created, called out, and commissioned by the one whose name is above every name, Jesus, our Lord, in whose name we pray.
In our witness of scripture this morning from Deuteronomy chapter 30, God calls us to live in ways that lead to life in abundance. In his final address, Moses urges the Hebrew people to choose life. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 15 through 20. See, I have set before you today life and prosperity, death and adversity. If you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I am commanding you today by loving the Lord your God, walking in his ways, and observing his commandments, decrees, and ordinances, then you shall live and become numerous, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to possess. But if your heart turns away and you do not hear, but are led astray to bow down to other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall certainly perish. You shall not live long in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to enter and possess. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. Loving the Lord your God, obeying him, and holding fast to him, for that means life to you and length of days, so that you may live in the land that the Lord swore to give to your ancestors, to Abraham, Isaac, and to Jacob. In Matthew, Jesus continues with words that teach and challenge, saying, You have heard that it was said to those of ancient times, You shall not murder and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you are angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to the council, or if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to court with him, or your accuser may hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the guard, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny.
People who write about church in America are focused on one question right now. Why are people slow to come back after the pandemic? A second and related question feels more dire. Will people ever come back to church? Like almost everything in life, no single response can answer either question. Some people remain vigilant in their caution. Some have personal health concerns. Some have gotten out of the habit. Some have found watching by live, sp live stream to be a more manageable way to worship. If live streaming worship has unintended consequences, we know those consequences are far more positive than they are negative because there are those who for a variety of reasons cannot get to the sanctuary on a Sunday morning, but because of live streaming are still able to be here in worship for the church. So, while we certainly understand the questions and the concerns, there are probably better questions for the church to be asking. A friend shared recently that she heard of a church in Georgia, maybe you've heard about this also, that on a particular Sunday gave $100 to everyone who came to worship on that day with the idea being that people would then take that $100 and do something good with it and then share the story of the good that resulted. Well, maybe that would do it. <laughs> we could take an ad out in the paper. We, we could put it, announce it around across Facebook. After all, churches celebrate Super Bowl Sunday. Why not come to church and receive $100 Sunday? That might fill the pews. Receive a nice crisp $100 bill nested in each worship bulletin. I believe I'll take three bulletins this morning. <laughs> it, it might even land First Christian Church of Norman as the best place to worship <laughs> in the transcripts annual best places to be. After all, churches are grouped into service industry. What better way to serve people than by giving them $100? We could encourage people to go on TikTok and show what they did with their money. We've been making a number of trips to Texas lately, traveling back and forth on I-35. Along the way, you start to notice advertising on the thousands of billboards along the interstate. The Artesian Hotel is well represented. So are Bedre Chocolates. Casinos, lots of casino billboards. And whoever available is, there are plenty of billboards <laughs> advertising available. And Jesus. Jesus is well advertised up and down I-35. Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Call 1-800-FOR-JESUS. Now that is a deal. <laughs> Jesus gets a lot of press. It's okay. You have to get your brand out there. 
But something about that feels icky, to use a sophisticated theological word. <laughs> but more to the point, and perhaps more helpful, it may be a revealing reflection of what the church has always been tempted to do with faith by making it more appealing and marketable. And no one is immune from that temptation. I'm not thinking this will ever happen, but if First Christian Church should become the reader's choice of best places to worship, instead of our highest award to date being only honorable mention, <laughs> my first thought would be, wow, does this mean we've won or we've lost? From Sinclair Lewis's conniving Elmer Gantry to today's unabashed preachers of self-promotion and gospel prosperity, the church gets tempted to present Jesus particularly and faith more broadly as the means to personal ends and desires. Would you like more peace and less stress in your life? Do you need more hashtag happiness, joy, blessings, friends, power, money, certainty, or whatever, want, whatever you feel and want is your just desserts? Well, then come to church. Come to Jesus. Author Kate Bowler suggests the gospel presented as a means, as a technique to make your life more fulfilling and livable is a uniquely American heresy. Perverting the Christian gospel from an announcement of what Jesus is doing in the world and making it into a strategy for getting Jesus to do something for us. The problem with coming to church to name it and claim it because God wants you to have it the problem with coming to church to receive a $100 bill is not that it promotes, promotes the whole, well, what am I going to get for what I do consumerist perspective. I mean, okay, that's a problem. But the deeper problem is that this perspective reduces life and faith into one more commodity on the shelf. It's a perspective about faith, not to mention God that is ironically unfaithful. If self-promotion and personal prosperity is all the church has to offer, then no wonder people aren't bothering to come back. The church at its Christ-infused best has so much more to offer than a C-note. We come to church we come to faith to be reminded that we have all already received from God the greatest gift we could ever have been given. We know what it is, right? Life. We've all been given a life sentence. And if the church does not remind us of this truth, 
then every now and then, life itself will remind us, if we're fortunate, moments where life comes into view tend to happen in those transition times, in passage moments, graduation from school, moving away, starting a new career, committing to a relationship, restoring a relationship, healing from illness, retirement, loss of a loved one. Moments when we can take a breath and take account and maybe hit the reset button. Passage moments aren't necessarily crisis moments, but like any crisis moment, they hold both opportunity and danger. And it was this kind of moment for our Hebrew ancestors as told in the 30th chapter of Deuteronomy. The setting is that the longed-for promised land is now in sight. Now in sight, after 40 years of schlepping around in the wilderness, a sojourn that at times both Moses and his followers would have traded in for nothing more than the gold dangling from their ears. In fact, it got so bad at one point that Moses said, take me now, Lord, I've just had it. I've just had it with this most whiny, ungrateful, ornery group of people you have ever created on the face of the earth. Only to have God not grant Moses' prayer. And then there was that other time when Moses had to convince God that the whole liberation from slavery and establishment of a covenant was not the worst plan God had ever created. It had not been an easy 40 years because there is no such thing as an easy 40 years. To be sure, there had been plenty of wondrous, great days, but there had also been plenty of hard days. Prosperity gospel notwithstanding, going God's way does not guarantee perfection or painlessness, and anyone who tells you it does is selling something other than biblical faith. Like a faithful companion or a loving parent, Moses says to those who were inspiring one minute and infuriating the next, when you go to the promised land, you will get to choose how you will be. God gives you the freedom to decide and to discern what you want to do with your life, how you want to live your days. Choose the ways that lead to life. Embody God's kind of love, Moses encouraged them, without prescribing exactly what to do in every situation. Earlier, Moses had provided those specifics, summarized on one tablet as revering and honoring God, and on the other tablet as looking out for and loving others. And that's no easy choice especially with multiple idols living in the promised land then and alluring us with loads of promise still today. Moses says, you'll have 
choices every day. So decide for the ways of living that help life to be better for everyone and not just for you. Decide for ways that heal what is wounded, recreate what is broken, replenish what is starving. Moses is not preaching prosperity gospel here. Choosing life is not about how long we get to breathe. Instead, it is about how we breathe along life's way. We're not talking $100 bills anymore. And it's the same kind of message that is happening with Jesus and his newly formed group of disciples. It's not exactly an entry into the promised land that Moses has brought people to. Instead, it is the promise of the kingdom of heaven that Jesus is bringing to people. And one of the ways Jesus speaks of the reign of heaven come to live on earth is by saying this. You have heard it said, but I say to you. And when we hear that, we remember Jesus is not replacing what Moses said at the border crossing into the promised land, nor is Jesus doing away with what the prophets said after that. Instead, Jesus is fully filling what it means to be choosing life. When Jesus says, What he says here, it is clear that he wants more than our hands and our feet. He also wants our minds and our hearts. Jesus is not only interested in shaping actions, he also wants to reorient perspectives. It's not just that killing another is wrong, Jesus says. It is that the thoughts we have and the words we speak can be lethal. Well, what Jesus says challenges us in these days of cruel rhetoric and unmitigated hostility when some might even be tempted to retreat into enclaves of bitterness and vitriol. What Jesus says here is a reminder that while anger may in fact be a very appropriate response to violations of trust, both personal and systemic, it can also deteriorate into self-righteous indignation and self-serving moralism. So Jesus invites us to uncurl the fist to trade vengeance power for something more healing, to remember that having an enemy can make oneself look good by comparison, but then by giving us something more, something along the lines of what Mary Gordon once described as the exhilaration of one's own unassailable rightness. We're not talking $100 bills anymore. Jesus then goes on. He doesn't speak only about anger. He speaks of honesty, relationships, justice, mercy, forgiveness. Tall orders 
every one of them. So it is helpful to remember two thoughts. First, both Moses and Jesus are offering compelling invitations that are meant to be lived into over an entire lifetime. And there are some days that we do pretty well with that. And then there are other days that if someone cuts in front of us in traffic, we're just about ready to do battle. And that leads us to the second thought. When Moses said what he said, he kept using a certain word. Did you hear it when it was read? Today. Today. Choose. Which is to say, each day we get to renew and recommit to the choices set before us, and what happened yesterday does not determine what must happen today. We are gifted with a lifetime of choosing, thanks to the one who has chosen to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Years ago, my mother had a funny turn of the phrase. I don't know if it was her or if it was a colloquialism, but here's what she said. Sometimes she would say, well, I had a few choice words for them, which I once thought was a polite euphemism for, well, you know, curse words. <laughs> and maybe that was true. But later, came to understand that at its best, it meant to speak challenging words where they were needed in hopes that people can learn and grow and change. Moses before him and Jesus then and now loves us and the world enough to speak choice words. Mm. Thanks be to God. We're not talking about $100 bills anymore. 